Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Welcome to Mountain Meister. Russell here. Hey, it's Ben. Today on the show, we have Casey Dean. Casey grew up in Sandpoint, Idaho, and lived there until he was 19. He then moved to Lake Tahoe, California, to chase the dream of becoming a professional skier. After living in Reno and Tahoe for seven years, he moved to the Pacific Northwest, settled in Bellingham and Whistler. Currently as a professional skier and mountain biker, shooting photos and filming all over the world is what he calls work. So to the listeners out there, imagine the stuff that you see in all those ski movies, the people skiing off of the huge cliffs, making first tracks in fresh powder. Our guest today is one of those guys. Casey, before we dive more into your job, tell us about you personally. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I do kind of revolves around skiing and and biking these days, but I'm in Bellingham and I spend a lot of time up in BC, mainly up in Whistler. So yeah, when I'm not doing that, I'm out surfing usually or just kind of hanging out with friends here in in Whistler and Bellingham, just biking and enjoying my time off. So Yeah, yeah, and you're not a typical backcountry skier. You're (laughs) hucking off these huge cliffs, and it kind of looks like you're in a park almost. Did you start out doing any slope style or anything like that? Yeah, that was kind of the original. I mean, I started riding park, and then, and I still do, actually. It's a big influence for... I think all of us in the backcountry that are trying to build jumps and trick natural terrain. But I was 19 and I, you know, moved to Tahoe, started doing slope style contests. And when I broke my back, that's kind of when I stopped uh, competing for, you know, slope style and big air and stuff like that. And I really wanted to be in the backcountry anyway. So that kind of pushed me to ride park less and less. I still do. But how did you break your back? What happened? Um, I was just warming up for a slope style contest, which was in Tahoe at Homewood, and uh, it was pretty icy. It was earlier in the morning, and I uh, hit the jump line once or twice, and they're pretty poppy jumps, and then they close it, and they raked them, and so I decided to first run, just kind of warm up, do backflip and some threes, and <laughs> came into the first jump, and they had put pop on the end of the jump, hmm. and as soon as I set the backflip and popped, I got kicked off the lip, and I over-rotated and landed in kind of a fetal position on hmm. back first hmm. at the bottom of the landing and crushed the bottom vertebrae in my back. So, so the bottom near your tailbone? Yeah, and then the three vertebrae above. Oh, wow. So... I mean, obviously, back injuries are very serious. It's not yeah. like a broken arm. So what were you thinking when you hit the ground? Well, I didn't have any paralysis, but any time that uh, you hit that hard, I was, I was like, man, this is really not good. <laughs> <laughs> when you crush the vertebrae uh, anywhere in your back, for instance, my dad did the same thing riding motocross. Wow. There's really, uh, unless you do it severely enough that you need surgery, to uh, stabilize the area. It's actually just uh, compresses the vertebrae down and um, you just have to wait basically a couple months for it to heal. So um, I got pretty lucky on, on that one. So, Have you had any other injuries throughout your career? <laughs> yeah. I think just any time that you're out there, I mean, whether it's me or any skier that's a professional athlete, you're always pushing yourself and 
you know, whether you're at the top of the sport or you're just pushing your limits as far as they can go, a lot of the times, I mean, you put yourself in a situation where you make one mistake and it's going to be a pretty bad outcome. So, yeah, I mean, I've blown out my, my knee. I've had multiple knee surgeries and I've broken my leg um, twice. I've broken my back, my neck. Just broke. I've broken my nose, hand, ribs, lacerated spleen. Oh man! So the list goes on and on. What do your parents think of all of this? Uh, I was just kind of a little bit worried, but I mean, they know that I'm. I know what I'm doing. I guess so. Well, this is what you love, and how difficult is it to know that this sport that you love and pursuing it and getting better—that's the same thing that can also hold you back from going further. Yeah, it's. It's interesting, um, you know, I mean, like C.R. Johnson, for instance, the sport that he loved also took his life, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like a lot of skiers that have passed away skiing. Sometimes it can be a lot to just kind of overcome mentally. I mean, literally every day that you go out and we're filming, sometimes it's actually pretty stressful, you know, like in the mornings you get really, I guess, stressed out mm-hmm. would be the way to describe it, but I mean, you know that. When I go out to film, I'm not going to go out and just kind of do some mellow pow turns. You know that during the day, if it's a clear day and there's good snow, that you're going to do something that's going to, you're going to push yourself and you could potentially get hurt on or, you know, end your season or get caught in an avalanche or whatever it is. So that's always in the back of your head, but I guess you're just the love of going out and skiing always pushes you past that. So. Yeah, I mean, I find it really interesting. And where is the line between extreme sport and almost daredevil or actor where you're doing stuff for the camera? I feel like that space is becoming grayer and grayer. Yeah, I think it depends on the person, really. I mean, for me, I'm not going to go out and I'm not going to do something because there's a camera pointed at me, whether it's for skiing or a bike or you know anything that I'm shooting. I'm going to do that if the camera wasn't there. So I think that's kind of how I draw the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, if a photographer or a filmer gets you set up and you're looking at something, and, oh, man, Cause you hear this all the time. They're like, you should go hit that. and You should go, you know, go hook a backflip off that. And you just have to think, yeah, that would look great on camera, but I wouldn't do that if you guys weren't shooting it. So usually my response to that is, actually, I... I think you should give me the camera <laughs> and then you go hit it and I'll take the photo. And of course the photographer's like, Yeah, I don't think so. I think maybe we could just move on here. I was like, Yeah, I think that's <laughs> I also saw that you do a lot of filming for yourself. You film yourself. How has that changed the way that you kind of produce film? Um, I think POV cameras in general, you know, are just like you said, you can go out and you can put a POV edit together. And people don't have to wait till the fall to see all the movies come out, you know, mm-hmm. so you can show them what you're doing and where you're going. I did a POV edit last spring. Um, but I think it's good, you know, it's just something that keeps your sponsors happy and, and kind of let people know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But could you explain what a POV edit is? I'm not exactly sure. Oh, uh, just a point of view. So basically okay. using your GoPro contour mm-hmm. camera, right. whatever it is. And uh, last year I kind of tried to change it up instead of just putting the helmet camera on your head and then going skiing around the you know the resort or whatever mm-hmm. I wanted to switch it up and get some different perspectives and different angles so I was attaching it to my ski pole 
And, you know, so holding it out in front. So basically you're filming yourself skiing, but that's still a point of view of, of what you're seeing and what you're doing. And then switching it to a, a back view of me skiing and then also mixing it in with my, my helmet camera mounted on top of my head. So it's just uh, instead of having a camera pointed at you, basically you're filming yourself in a close proximity. Yeah, I've never actually tried the POV on my ski pole, or I've used the helmet cameras quite a bit. Is it something that you're consciously thinking about, holding the pole, pointing it at you, or are you able to get in your own ski mode? Hmm. No, it's actually pretty tricky. The edit that I did last spring, a lot of that I filmed when I was over in Japan. For one, it's heavier than you think. I mean, hmm. take your ski pole and then add a 5 to 10-pound weight at the end of it hmm. and then try skiing. I mean, it, it's hard to hold it steady. So, yeah, you're thinking about that and then thinking about going through and dodging trees and <laughs> then also trying to make it look good. So it's actually a little bit trickier. It took probably a half a day to really get it figured out and get the angles right. And what's really interesting about your sport is that it's almost a highlight clip. I mean, the majority of stuff that people are watching is all the good things, and oftentimes the mistakes aren't shown. How do you feel about that? Um, I think it's pretty sweet when they don't show the mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's literally what it is. I mean, imagine watching, you know, Sports Center and watching the highlight reel or watching, for instance, baseball tonight. That's basically what your segment is at the end of the season. So whether you're watching Warren Miller or you're watching the newest Poor Boys movie or you know whatever it may be, we basically film all season long. And then of that, you take out the best probably three to four minutes, whatever matches up with the length of a song typically. Hmm. And then that is, that's your segment. So you go out, you try and get the the best footage and the best shots that you possibly can. And then once the end of the season comes up, then hopefully you have enough for a, a good you know segment. Or, and that is basically your highlight reel of, of the season. Yeah, the content's phenomenal these days, and people get so addicted to it. Do you think that the general consumer would see that and then think that they could potentially go do that, or they don't really know what goes into all the avalanche safety that you guys do and those kind of issues? I think the general person doesn't really understand, to be honest. I mean, for instance, people will tell me, oh, man, you're so lucky, which is true. But, you know, they're like, I'm stuck at the office. I work nine to five every day. And then I just like, I have my weekends off. Well, from November until May 1st, Mm -hmm. I don't have any time off. I'm working, I say work, going out (laughs) skiing. And working with a photographer and or a filmer where you go out and typically my day starts at maybe like 5 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then it's nice and earlier in the winter because the days are shorter. So you're getting done around 5 to 6 o'clock at night. But I mean, for instance, now in the spring, I mean, suns you want to get out there at sunrise when the light's the best. Mm-hmm. And then typically during the middle of the day, that's when the light's the most blown out or bright. There's not really any shadows. So you don't really shoot as much then. And then later in the day is also when it gets good and then towards sunset. So my day will start around 5 in the morning. And, I mean, a lot of times I don't even get back to my truck till 8, 9 o'clock at night. Wow. And that's every day, mm-hmm. day in, day out. So, I mean, you're doing – you can do up to like 16-hour days just back to back to back to back. And then the other thing too is, for instance, right now I just – 
I broke my nose maybe a week and a half ago when we were out filming in Revelstoke. And then I hurt my leg pretty bad as well on the last line that I skied. And then I've been trying to take care of it. But, I mean, since I do it, you know, I shoot and film in the backcountry. When the snow's there and the sun's out, that's kind of when you have to you have to take advantage of that. So you're also working through injuries pretty much. Yeah, that's gonna be year tough. You're out, you know, because you only have so much time. So you always end up pushing yourself to go out and get those shots. So it's long hours, not really any time off. And even though the travel is nice, I've spent. I just figured out since November, I think I've spent maybe two weeks at home. Wow. Yeah. So you're always on the road, living out of a bag, which can can get old, you know. Yeah, it's probably not even possible to have any kind of work life balance in that, in that <laughs> yeah, sense. Work but is your life. Yeah. Maybe over the summer, a little bit more downtime for you. Yeah, now with biking, it's kind of been taking. Oh, that's that true. But, <laughs> wow. But yeah, the summer is your downtime. It's basically six months on. It seems like you're pretty much full time, like busting your butt year round. Is this enough to? support you financially is there anything else that you need to do on top of this uh no no this is what i do for work year round i feel like that's actually kind of the you know a lot of people kind of use that term as oh you know maybe you have some sponsors and people will say that they're a pro skier but i think if you're a professional athlete that you support yourself and make a living doing whatever it is that you're doing you know Mm -hmm. so whether you're a professional you know, you're a dentist and that's your profession, then you're obviously supporting yourself and making a living. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, that's that's it for me is I just ski and that's how I make my living. Yeah, I'd say that's logical. And I want to go back to another interesting thing that you said, and that was the comparison between, you know, baseball tonight and sports center and all these kind of highlight clips. But all of those highlights are produced from games, these three-hour competitions. Could you ever imagine yourself competing in a competition in front of thousands of people? Yeah, and I mean, it does happen. I do compete a little bit still, and I did um, this contest the last couple of years. It's called Swatch Skiers Cup. Yeah. And um, they did a few stops down in, um, in Chile in the fall, and then the past two years they've held it in Zermatt in Switzerland. And the, the format is a big mountain day where they hell you out and then we do two runs a piece and it's head to head similar to the riders cup in golf yeah. so you have team north america versus team europe and then one rider goes and then the rider from the other team goes and then whoever skis their line better scores a point for the team so day one is a big mountain day day two is a slope style backcountry day hmm. which basically they go out on a big mountain venue and then they build dig and put jumps in throughout the face and then you go down and the idea is to ski a line but also focus more on the trick aspect and that draws out quite a few people especially over in Europe because skiing is a bigger sport over there than it is in the states in North America so I don't know that's kind of the idea of that is to bring the that level of skiing that we're doing in films and that you're seeing in the magazines in front of people and putting that into a venue that you can then come and watch yeah, that sounds really cool, and that, that's a whole new element to it. I mean, now you're part of a team, and before you're kind of skiing for yourself individually, how much fun was it to be a part of a team? Oh, it's it's awesome. The first year I got to do it, I was hounding uh, Mark Abma, who was uh, he's a professional skier from up here in Whistler, and I was like, man, you got to put me on the team. I'd love to do it. I think it'd be a good, you know. And I ended up not making the cut, and then another friend of mine took his spot, 
and they needed somebody. I just happened to be in South America. I went over and got to do it, and nice. it's awesome. I mean, they bring together ideally the top eight athletes from North America and then the top eight athletes from Europe. And then it's a head-to-head, so you know you're standing at the start gate, and it's just, you know you're like, "Holy man, that's you're standing next to Seth Moore. <laughs> it's a dream team." And they're saying the same oh, thing. Yeah. Oh man, I'm standing next to Casey Dean. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. That dynamic is it's awesome. You know, you're stoked to meet them, and they're stoked to meet you, and hang out and everything. So the contest vibe around the Skiers Cup is really cool. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, super fortunate to be a part of that contest. So did you feel a different kind of pressure having the accountability of other teammates or is it just like another day for you? Oh, no. I mean, you're definitely, or at least I, I was, you know, I mean, the first year that I did it was maybe three years ago and I came in, Abma was kind of calling me the black sheep. He was like, <laughs> oh man, you're like the, the black sheep. You're the dark horse, you know? <laughs> and um, I was really happy because the teams were all really stacked down there as well you know and I hadn't really done a contest like that and you know a lot of people knew me through magazines and some video parts but they didn't I hadn't really done any contests you know and I was happy I ended up winning um all my heats out there for the team and then it came down to uh the last day and it was myself Cody Townsend and then uh Chopo Diaz was on our team Hmm. So we went out, and it was tied going into the finals, and then the last run was myself against Patty Graham, and they radioed it up. They were like, hey, just so you guys know, uh, score is tied 1-1. Whoever wins this takes it for the team. So <laughs> you're, the, no you're the guy with the ball with five seconds left. <laughs> you take the last shot. This is awesome. Yeah, so it was like bottom of the ninth, two outs, men on base, and... Um, I ended up getting the last point. And we wow. You hit the home run. There you go. Yeah. The walk-off homer. Nice. So it was cool. Like, the whole team comes together, but to get that, the last point for the team and help us end up getting the win was super awesome to be able to do that. But, yeah, it was like you have that pressure of the whole mm-hmm. team. I mean, if I wouldn't have put that point down, Europe would have won. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm like thinking, it was like, oh, man, I can't let Cody and, <laughs> you know, Riley and Dane, all the boys down. I got to... I got to put it down, you know, so. That is so cool. Yeah, it's a really cool contest, and it's completely different than, you know, anything else in in skiing. And it's a crazy environment, too, because, I mean, you picture you're standing at the top of, you know, this peak in the middle of the Andes with just a start gate, but then you have a helicopter hovering right in your face with a (laughs) Cineflex, and then another heli, like, buzzing around, and Mm -hmm. there's all these cameras everywhere, and. Yeah, it's definitely a pretty crazy uh, environment. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Um, To kind of move on a little bit, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about your sponsors since you have so many different sponsors. Maybe just talk a little bit about one piece of gear that you could recommend to our uh, outdoorsy listeners. Everybody kind of asks, and like, oh, who's your sponsor? I don't usually, I don't have just one. Exactly, yeah. I have a group of sponsors, you know, like I have Eddie Bowers, my outerwear, and then uh, I have Moment Skis, Burn Helmets, Scott Goggles, Dollbell mm-hmm. Boots, CTI, Descent Labs. But mm-hmm. uh, one sponsor, for instance, like Moment, I've been on with them. Uh, they're made in Reno, Nevada. And I was one of Moment Skis' first riders. Mm-hmm. So I've been on for almost nine years now. Wow. Is there one ski in particular that you would recommend to our listeners? Uh, well, yes, because I, I designed it. But <laughs> Oh, um, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I developed a ski with 
with uh, Luke Jacobson, who works there, is uh, the Ghost Train. Mm. So it's kind of like a, I guess, a pro model ski that I've been working on with them, where I had a lot of design influence on that. And that was really cool because, you know, I can sit there with Luke. And one of the things that's unique about Moment is that they do everything in-house, just right there in Reno. So if I have an idea for a ski or if I want to change something, they can go right there and then CNC out the mold and they can change it. In probably a week, they can have a completely different ski, wow. whereas bigger ski companies, you know, for instance, Rosignol and Solomon, for them to redo a mold probably costs, I don't know, 30, 40 grand. Yeah, you know? that's huge, definitely. Whereas Moment can do one for maybe $1,000, it's, you know, they get the wood and, and redo everything in the man hours and you have a whole new ski that's completely redesigned, so... Yeah, that's really cool how you can be as involved as you are with their design process and any little modifications that you have. And to kind of wrap this whole thing up, we want to focus a little bit on your professional skiing career. What's one challenge that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis? It's always frustrating. You know, for instance, right now in Whistler, I'm waiting for the sun to pop. And it'll probably come out Tuesday, Wednesday. And we had a cycle where it got pretty warm it probably went up like 45 to 50 degrees Hmm. fahrenheit in the mountains so it cooked all the snow and then went back down to 20 degrees so it's boilerplate on Mm -hmm. some aspects and then we're going to get two three feet of snow yeah that's so i mean the avalanche danger is going to go super high but then you're stuck in that situation where you know i want to go out and get a few certain shots to Mm -hmm. end out the season you're kind of stuck in that do i risk it and risk the avalanche danger mm-hmm. versus like what's the risk reward here you know like what aspects can i get on and so dealing with avalanche danger sometimes is really frustrating because you know that you want to go get a certain shot for either you know magazines or mm-hmm. you know your video part but you can't do that you're being held back because of the weather and that's that's really frustrating sometimes as well yeah do you think that you're going to go out after the storm or wait a little while Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I have a pretty short window, so I'll go out for sure, but... um, Just be extra careful, yeah. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is you just know, I mean, with the avalanche conditions that are going to exist next week, I'm going to go out, and I'm not going to ski big lines. I'm not going to ski anything that's really exposed. I'm going to stick to small rolls of two to 300 feet, you know, that you can go build a jump on, and Mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're going for at the end of the season now anyway, so... Um, so yeah, you just focus on that stuff and kind of stay out of the bigger open faces that are more dangerous. So yeah, it's great and very refreshing to hear how much thought goes in behind it because it's difficult to see that in the movies just because you have a limited amount of time to show the most amazing stuff. So it's awesome to hear the background. And that's kind of one of the things that we really like to do with this show is show the behind the scenes. Also, I was watching one of your videos and you do start to ski down and you get stuck in an avalanche slide which for one reason or another that happens. And you talk about, which I thought was very interesting, you talk about how avalanches get almost glorified in movies. And you said that you were kind of debating whether or not to put this in your movie. How did you decide to put that avalanche in your movie? Um, well, I was talking to um, Dave Mossop from Sherpa Cinema who did an avalanche film called The Thin Line. And then he was also with J.P. Auclair, who's been working with with them for a while. And so I got caught in that avalanche, and 
to give a little backstory, it was kind of similar conditions what it'll probably be next week, actually. But hmm. um, we let things settle out. And, I mean, I started doing beacon drills with my dad when I was maybe like seven years old. Hmm. And he was a patrolman. And, you know, so I've been, and I've been going in the backcountry and sledding since I was about nine years old. So it's interesting because since I've been doing it that long, you know, I have probably 20 years of experience. But when you get caught in a slide, I mean, it just makes you feel like you're an idiot. You realize you, you think to yourself, like, how could I have been so dumb? How could it, like, like, where was my lapse in judgment? You know, mm-hmm. like, this is, but then again, things happen like that. And that same day, I was out with my friend Mason Michon, who's a photographer and filmer, and my friend Kai, who's a skier from up here. And we did all the correct steps, you know, and Still, I ended up getting caught in that slide, and at first, you know, it was just like, man, I don't want to, I don't want anybody to know because, you know, you don't want people thinking that, you know, you're going out there being reckless or mm-hmm. doing stupid, skiing stupid things and being dangerous. So, man, I mean, it was, it was a pretty gnarly slide that I got caught in. I mean, I got taken probably at least fifteen hundred feet and went for probably a minute, minute wow. ride. I had to use my airbag. And then was partially buried and got myself out, but still, I mean, it was it was pretty heavy. I was talking to JP at um, during the ski and snowboard festival, which is going on now, and I was talking to Dave as well. And I kind of started telling them what happened, and they were like, "You know, that sucks," but they're like, I'm "Stoked that you're still here with us." And um, he asked me if I had footage, and I was like, "Yeah, I don't really want anybody to know." And and Mossup and JP were actually the ones that convinced me. They're like, people need to see this. Mm-hmm. People need to realize that, for instance, you, you've been doing this basically your whole life skiing in the backcountry, but things can still go wrong. You can go out there and do everything wrong, and you know maybe for whatever reason, you, you know, a slide gets cut loose on you. And I don't know, people think that uh, because you take an avalanche one course and then you you know, you have all this knowledge and that you're safe, but uh, you just never know when, when things can go wrong. So um, after talking to those guys, I put that edit together. I kind of wanted to, in a way, to explain what happened. I didn't want people to think that Nears out there setting off avalanches being reckless. So mm-hmm. I kind of did a press release, wrote something up for Free Skier, and um, so put that edit out so that people understood why I put that in there. So... But once I did, then, you know, people kind of understood. So mm-hmm. uh, a little bit different than, I guess, glorifying it, like you said, right. you know, like yeah. sometimes people do in ski movies. Exactly. So. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And unfortunately, we have to cut it here, but I think that is a good way to end this episode. Can you give our listeners a couple of ways to connect with you? Um, yeah, I'm uh, really active on social media and Instagram, Twitter, and also you can, if you want to send me a message or whatever you want, I'm on Facebook. You look up my name and also have a fan page there, but, and then on Twitter and Instagram, it's just at Casey Dean, which is K-C-D-E-A-N-E. That's a good way to keep in touch. Instagram, I usually update every other day or so and kind of uh, on my travels and my journey through skiing and biking, so... Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, you do have a robust Instagram following. So uh, we will have pictures of Casey on our website, mtnmeister.com, on Casey's Meister profile. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Yeah, thank you guys. Good talking. Hey, Meister fans. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Casey Dean, and maybe you're inspired not to get injured yourself. 
But you got to still get out on the slopes. I mean, don't let that hold you back. <laughs> anyway, Russell and I are really excited to be offering you some free stuff. And among this free stuff is some hats, some scarves, what else? Yak tracks. Yeah, we have a ton of stuff. Just go to our website, mtnmeister.com, and you can see all the different products that we have. We're just giving them away. All you have to do is share one of our episodes on Facebook. And if you tag us in that, we'll know it's you, and you'll be entered to win a weekly drawing. Every Friday, we'll be picking someone, featuring them on our website and on our social media platforms. Couldn't be easier. And join us tomorrow on the show when we have Andy Perizzo. The best telemark skier that's part of the worst crew. <laughs> and you'll find out what that means tomorrow. <laughs>